Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. Verse 57 says, As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, Foxes have dens to live in, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go and bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Would you say this with me? Say, keep your hand on the plow and hold on. Amen. May the Lord add his blessing to the word tonight. Looking back at verse, 5, verse 62, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Most of us know what a plow is. It's a tool you use to till up hard ground. Some of us have used it in a machine. You hook it to an animal sometimes. You, the old ancient people would hook it to an animal and that machine and that piece of tool would break the ground up. What is Jesus trying to explain us to us here, telling us, keep our hand on the plow? And I understand using a tool like that, it takes some work, it takes some effort. Well, spiritually, Jesus is telling us that we have a job to do. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. And I want us to notice that action word that says go. So our job as servants of the Most High is the Great Commission. That word commission has two definitions. Number one, it's the act of committing or entrusting a person or group with supervisory power or authority. Authority And secondly, just means it's an authoritative order, a change or direction. Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 25, the New Living Translation said, Paul said, I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. He said, God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. So what the Apostle Paul was telling us here is that when, when he said that God has given him the responsibility of serving is that he was commissioned by the master to serve. But let's look back again. I want to kind of break this passage in Luke chapter 9 down just a bit. In verse 57 and 58, as they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever I go. Wherever you go, Jesus, he said, I'll follow you. But Jesus said, Foxes have dens to live in. Birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. This is a perfect example of someone honoring God with lip service. He said, God, I'll do this for you. But then when Jesus gave him the, the real truth, I believe he kind of backed away on a little bit because Jesus knew this man's heart. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, it says, These people draw near to me with their, heart, with their mouth 
and they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In fact, if you look in Matthew chapter 8, this same scenario, scenario is repeated, and we find out that this person that Jesus was talking to was actually a scribe, a person that was a religious leader who knew the word of God. It's head knowledge without the heart. Verses 59 through 60, when he said to another, follow me, and he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. This is, to me, a representation of a person with a heart to serve the Lord, but pulled back by unsaved family members. Verse 60, in direct interpretation from the original translation, this is what it says. But Jesus said to him, leave the dead ones, the spiritually unregenerate ones without renewal to bury their own dead ones. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And this, this doesn't mean when you have a family member that isn't saved and that pulls you away, it doesn't mean you're supposed to be hateful and disrespectful. And you know, it, it doesn't mean that. It just means that you are not to let anyone damper your faith in being a witness for Christ. And unfortunately, sometimes it is those that are close to us that pulls at your faith because of their unbelief. And it's just this weight that keeps you from doing and going full force to what God wants you to do. But the word of God says, don't let those who are spiritually blind stop you from doing what God wants you to do. I want you to imagine, and imagine this story. Imagine owning a large crop farm and the produce from the land is your only source of income. Because of the size of your, of your land, you decide to hire some help, but you can't seem to find anyone willing to work. Desperately, you find and hire five workers who agree to help on the farm, and as an incentive, you decide to give them an advance on their pay, sort of as a down payment before they start. As the season for planting begins, every day you notice three of the hired hands are working hard and not stopping, but the other two are slacking, they're getting tired, and you see them just sitting somewhere under a shade tree eating all the bologna sandwiches and sweet tea that you made for all the workers. After a few days of watching this scenario, how would you feel toward those two lazy workers under the tree watching all the others do the work? Almost as if they're stealing your money expecting to be fully paid without doing any work. What you see and what you have just envisioned and how you feel toward those two lazy workers is exactly how the Heavenly Father feels towards creation and towards those who he has given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. God is the owner of the land, the land being the earth. The laborers are the people who have been called by the Spirit of God and who have answered the call. And the Lord of the harvest chooses the laborers because they have answered the call. Matthew 22 and 14 says, for many are called, but few are chosen. And this is the reason why. The crop or the harvest being the lost souls who have not heard the message of the gospel. And like I said, the advance pay is the gift of the Holy Spirit who was sent down to earth on the day of Pentecost after Jesus was ascended into heaven in 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22, it says, Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. 
Ephesians 1, 13 through 14 says, In him you also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. There's reference, there's a lot of reference in the Bible that says that we are being saved. Your soul is saved at the point of salvation, but we're still in this decrepit, decaying, sinful earth. Salvation won't be complete until we are raptured in glory. And you say, well, that doesn't make sense. Why did Jesus leave us? He didn't leave us without. He left us with the comforter. That's why Jesus told the disciples, I have to go. Because if I don't go, I can't send the down payment to pay for y'all. The price has been paid, but I've got to prove it. I've got a down payment. I've got to put a down payment on us. If you were buying a house, you've got to put a, you got to put a, a good faith deposit down that you're going, to get, you're going to come back and pay for this. Well, God sent his Holy Spirit that sealed the guarantee, the promise that I'm coming back. But until then, I want you to know that I'm, I'm, I'm a man of my word. And that promise is the power of God that was sent down on the day of Pentecost. I want to read again um, in Colossians 1, 24 and 25 in the New King James Version. He said, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. For the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. In reference to that story I told you a little bit earlier about the gardeners, our view of God will determine the choices we make. Everything we have is given to us by God. But I want to ask this question in light of that story of the laborers. Do you see yourselves as stewards or owners? A steward lives for the day he will return the master's goods to him. An owner, however, believes his possessions are his to spend in any way he sees fit. Imagine and just kind of self-evaluate what do you do with the deposit that God gave you? What are we doing with what God has given us? Are we treating the gift of the Holy Spirit that we, we own what he has given us and we live our life the way we want to and we force him to follow along with our pattern or are we stewards that open up the instructions that he gave us to do with the deposit he gave us and follow his command with what he has given us? The Bible says in Colossians 3.23, Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But going back to this idea of keeping your hands on the plow, I understand that we all start out with our hands on the plow when we get saved. But I'm afraid that some have let go. Galatians 5, 7, Paul said to the church in Galatia, he said, you ran well, you started out good in this thing. You were really encouraged. You, you started good. He said, but who hindered you from obeying the truth? This leads me to believe that they had, in a spiritual sense, they let go of the plow they had turned around. Paul said, What's, what happened to you? you? You ran well, but you've let go of the truth. You stopped obeying the truth. 
I know for a fact that there is danger in letting go of the calling on your life. There is, there is a level of protection and covering and promise when you are in the will of God and you continue to follow in the, world, in the will of God because there's a covering. And when you're out of that, you're out of that covering when you disobey where God wants you to go, what he wants you to do. In fact, an entire generation of Israelites who watched the power of God safely lead them out of bondage in Egypt soon turned their hearts away from God and back to bondage when they got tired of waiting to hear from God while Moses was up on the mountain. Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap if you don't faint. Sometimes we don't get our answers as quick as we'd like, and we start to wonder like the Israelites, why is God taking so long up on that mountain? I'm just going to fix this myself, all this doing good and going to church and giving money to the church, and it ain't done me no good. I might as well give up and go on back to my old ways. Exodus chapter 32, verse 1. This is what... That was a paraphrase of what the Israelites said. This is exactly what they said in the New Living Translation. When Moses went up on the mountain, he was hearing from God, and they were down there just waiting to hear back from what he had to say. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. You ever notice how we often fail to recognize God speaking to us? We fail to recognize God speaking to us. Almost as if we're listening for words that we want to hear. But we unknowingly listen to the voice of the enemy that is always trying to persuade us to turn our faith away from God. The voice of God will always be in contrast with the lies of the enemy. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. There cannot be a fraction of your heart that doesn't believe because that is a pathway for the enemy. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And beyond that, don't lean on your own understanding. That's exactly what the Israelites were doing. They were leaning on their own understanding of Moses is taking too long. We've got to get things going. And so they just started to lean on their own understanding. But the Bible says, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. God knows as soon as we get tired of doing what's right, we fall back on our own understanding of things and we let go of the plow or fulfilling our part in ministry to a path back into bondage. And we know that entire generation of Israelites died in the wilderness without entering into the promised land because they let go of the plow. When God decided to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, he sent two angels to warn Lot and his family who were living there. Genesis 19, 17 says, So it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, Escape for your life. Don't look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain." Escape to the mountains lest you be destroyed. Verse 26, we see that Lot's wife looked back behind and she became a pillar of salt. Something she was tied to back there. Something still had her heart. 
I don't know what it was, if it was family, friends, I don't know what it was, but something like the Israelites were still tied back to Egypt. Something was in her heart that caused her to turn back. Something looked more better. Something looked more fulfilling. When she looked ahead and she was following her husband Lot, she thought, what is this stupid man getting me into, pulling me away from the life that I've known and I'm my comfort zone? I guarantee you she wasn't on board with her husband She's probably dragging her feet the whole way. That's why the word of God tells us that we've got to trust in him with all of our heart. And when we have doubt, we've got to go to the throne room and say, God, help me, God. Show me what your word says so that I can fill that gap in my heart of doubt because that is a pathway for the enemy to breed lies in your heart. Sometimes our carnal minds will remind us of our past, but our heart should never turn back. That's why the Bible talks about spiritually wearing the helmet of salvation, the righteous breastplate. That's why that armor is there in the spirit to protect us from the lies of the enemy. I love the song that we sing sometimes, I've come too far to look back again. There's nothing behind me. All the treasures I used to love have all faded from view. There's a new day ahead for me. All my heartache is over for I left it at Calvary where my new life began. Sometimes like plowing through hard ground, we do get weary and tired of facing the same struggles every day and waiting on God's timing. Franklin, uh, Jensen Franklin tells a story in one of his books about a young man and an older man who were both competing against each other in a lumberjack tree cutting contest. Whoever was to cut down the most trees in the amount of time given won the contest. With the crowd cheering, both men grabbed their wood-cutting axe and got ready for the first swing. The whistle blew, and both of them started cutting with all of their might. One by one, you heard the crowd scream, Timber! As trees began to fall left and right. The young man was confident that he had what it took to win the competition, Beyond that, every time he looked over his shoulder to, to, to get a glimpse of his opponent's progress, he noticed the older man was sitting down on a log. The young man chuckled a bit and kept on chopping away. The final whistle blew again, and the time was up. The young man stood up with his chest out as, he, as the crowd cheered, just knowing that he had won. They tallied up the trees on the ground, and the older man won. In complete disgust and disappointment, the younger man walked over to his opponent and asked him, Sir, how could you have won? Every time I looked over at you, you were sitting down. Son, the older man said as he wiped the sweat off his forehead, What you didn't know is every time I sat down, I was sharpening my axe. Sometimes when your faith is chopping at the same thing every day, your hope becomes dull. It's normal. We've all felt that. If you're human, there are times in life when you will get tired of doing what's right when everything is going wrong. I'm not going to get up here and act super spiritual and say that don't get tired, weary and tired and doing what's right because you're wrong. You're not pleasing God. If the truth be told, every one of us at some time have woke up and said, I'm tired of doing what's right. I'm so sick and tired of this same thing of doing what's right 
and you see that these heathens down the road that ain't living for God and they are just shooting for the stars and they're blessed and we're dragging our feet struggling to do everything we can for the Lord. It's normal, we're human and that's just how it is. But in those times, I like to look to the old saying that we used to use, used to wear those bracelets years ago. I don't really think we knew really how, what it really meant. What would Jesus do? Jesus was a man of prayer and fasting. He was prayer, fast, minister. Prayer, fast, witness. And I want you to do this in your mind. Think of this. If you could put a schedule on your day from now on, and I know that you, ain't gonna, you can't fast every day, but on your Christian life, it should be prayer, fast, and what's your calling? What's your plow? What, what gift has God given you to further his kingdom? Pray. We all should pray. Jesus prayed. All throughout the New Testament, you see that Jesus would steal away and go away somewhere in the wilderness and pray for a long period of time. Jesus would fast. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, that we are to be sober and to be vigilant. That word vigilant just simply means to be keenly watchful, to detect danger, or to be ever awake and alert. Prayer and fasting is what keeps your faith sharp to keep on going. We are, we are, we're flesh and bones, and we're going to get tired of doing what's right. That's why that we always have to encourage each other to continue to pray, continue to fast, continue to read the word of God because it sharpens your faith because your faith can get dull from repeating the same thing over and over. That's We've got to look at Jesus' example and everything that he did, there's a reason. You say, well, I can't do it. Yes, you can. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave, it lives inside of me and you. So everything that Jesus did, we can do and we should do. What does it mean to hold on to the plow? Listen to the words that the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy while he was in jail for preaching the gospel. 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, he said, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Verse 5 says, but you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Say that with me. Say, fulfill your ministry. Verse 7, he said, I have fought the good fight of faith. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul knew what it meant to keep his hands on the plow and not look back. Because at any given time, if Paul would have looked back, he knew what his past was. He knew how severe when the things that he had done, there was nothing for him to go back to. There is nothing for us to turn back and go to. Egypt is not better than what's ahead of us. Sodom and Gomorrah, like Lot's wife, is not better than what's ahead of us. We may not be able to see over the horizon, but I guarantee you that God knows. We quote the scripture often. The Bible says that he will go before you and make the crooked places straight. So that lets me know that God has already come ahead. He's already cleared it up. He's already cleaned it up. If I go to visit my grandparents in Louisiana and, they let, and I let them know I'm coming, when I get there, the bed's already made, the sheets have already changed, the, 
lunch meat's already on the counter and everything's already there and ready. God knows your future. And as you follow his path, he's already got it set out for you. Amen. Notice that Paul's plow often in jail was his pen. As he wrote letters to the churches while he was being persecuted, who in their right mind as a normal human being would be thinking about writing letters to encourage churches while you were in jail, potentially going to get your life killed? Who in their right mind would be writing? I would probably be panicking and crying and trying to take my fingernails or take a plastic fork to dig out of there. I wouldn't be thinking about helping someone else. I'd be trying to think about helping myself. But Paul knew what it meant. He had, a, he had a charge from God. He knew, he understood his calling. He knew what it meant to fulfill his ministry. And he kept his hands on the plow. And that ground that he plowed were the, the hard ground of the churches that, he's, that those letters went to. The, the ground that may have started out good, but the ground stopped being cultivated. And, the, and then the word of God couldn't penetrate in those churches and, and Galatians and uh, Ephesians and all those letters that he wrote. He was plowing the ground with those letters. And I had this thought sometime today when I was studying. I thought, Lord, sometimes it feels like we are plowing through a spiritual graveyard. I want you to look at Ezekiel chapter 37 with me. There are times when God lays it on your heart to minister in a certain way to a certain person or a certain situation that seems hopeless, seems dead. But I want us to look at Ezekiel chapter 37 starting with verse 1, reading through 10. Ezekiel said, The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones and caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Again, he said unto me, prophesy upon these bones and say it to them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and bring up flesh upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. Ezekiel said, so I prophesied as I was commanded. I want to read that again. Ezekiel said, so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise. And behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. Then he said, prophesy unto the wind, Prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. Ezekiel said, I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and stood up upon their feet an exceeding great army. 
when God speaks to you to plow the heart and the ground of an unbeliever or a dead situation that God has spoken to you, let me just make a disclaimer. There are times that I believe that we try to speak life in a certain situation that God has not ordained in a certain specific time. Ezekiel could not have just walked up to those bones without God telling him. Ezekiel followed what the word of the Lord said. And because he did, he spoke what God had said. And those bones came to life. So the situations when we're plowing, and it seems like we're plowing through a graveyard, it's not going to come to life. Our mind says we're wasting our time talking to this person. We're wasting our time praying for this situation the word of the Lord would say, prophesy life to that situation. If in your heart, God has given you a burden and I've come to the understanding when it's God's will for you to intercede for a situation, you can envision the outcome in a good way. I believe that God will give you a taste of what he's going to do. And that's like the carrot at the end of a horse and the old shows and the horse is just following that carrot along. You don't know what's ahead of him. But he, all he sees is that little carrot, and I believe that's a ridiculous way to explain what I'm trying to say. But I believe that God gives us hope for what he is going to do. And I live on this verse in Jeremiah 33, 3. Call unto me, I will answer you, and I will show you great and mighty things that you don't know. God will not leave you in the dark concerning his will. He won't do it. We look at Acts chapter 16. When Paul was yet in jail, but with his buddy Silas, verses 25 and 26 says, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. Sometimes your plow is your praise. Sometimes all you have left inside of you isn't a prayer, isn't a tear, it's your praise. I know the feeling. There's some times in life to where you've cried all you can cry, you've prayed all you can pray, and all you have left in you is a praise. And that praise can break the ground. Understand that anything that God does for you to bless you, it isn't just for you. Paul said, fulfill your ministry. What has God given you? What is in your hand? What is the plow that is in your hand that God has given you to cultivate for the kingdom of God? When God gives you the ability and the strength to do it, it's not just for you, it is for someone else. Because that plow tills the hard ground so that the word of God can be planted in the heart and the life of the person or the situation that you are tilling for, that you are praying for, that you are fighting for, that you are praising for. We have to hold on to the word of God. When everything is upside down and backwards and inside out, you still have to hold on to the word of God. Even if you think you don't believe what it says, you still have to hold on. When you're working that field and you're working that plow, you can't look back and go forward. 
you can't let go and do work. Sometimes you get tired, you might have to stop a little bit, but don't let go. You can't let go. Hold on to your praise. I'm sure when Paul and Silas was in that prison, their flesh wanted to completely doubt. We read these stories and we just overlook them as there's some superheroes that had the supernatural power to just always have faith and everything good happened. And I doubt that. I put myself mentally in that prison with Paul and Silas and I would hope that I'd want to praise but I feel like I'd be worried a little bit. I feel like I would, maybe I would let go of the plow and say, what am I serving God for when he let me, after all that I've done for him and I'm in this jail and they're gonna kill me? But they decided to praise. I believe that it was a spirit of God that came on them and stirred them because it even takes the Holy Spirit to strengthen you to praise in the middle of your problem. You can't even praise on your own. Everything that God does to bring his will through us takes his spirit. It takes his guarantee that he sent to us. But Paul and Silas decided to praise. They decided to hold on to that plow. The Bible says that the prison doors were shaken. They were free. And when they came out of that, they were able, because of what God had done for them, to encourage people to say, don't let go. You hold on. Press on. And that's what strengthened Paul to continue to strengthen the churches for what God has done. Mom, if you would come. Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. The enemy wants you to stop doing what God has called you to do. Some of us have just been grafted into this and we've just put our hand on the plow and we're looking out at the field and we're saying, how? I can't do this. There's no way. But God is saying, keep your hand on the plow because it is, it is not by your might, it is not by your power, but he said, it is by my spirit. How can I keep my hand on the plow? How can I keep doing a work for God when my family's falling apart? How can I have the strength to keep my hand on the plow doing a work for the kingdom of God when my finances are are not what I wish they were. When the bills are coming in and they're more than what I have in the bank and, I'm, and, I'm, and we're doing what God has called us to do. I'm not talking about 
because some there are some people who will uh, they're not good stewards worth their money and they'll charge their cards and go do what they shouldn't do and then ask God to get them freedom from debt but there's you got to put things in order we got to get some understanding of how to handle our money before we pray for God to bless us and get us out of debt but I'm talking about doing everything that God has called you to do and you feel like you're in a season of struggle the last thing that we should do is let go of the work that God has called us to do because our blessing will be as we go. When Jesus told the lepers that came to him for healing and he healed them, he said, go and you will be healed. It wasn't until they went. As they went, they were healed. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, look in this again. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, he says, that word lo, there's a line right there. He gives this description of all this big stuff that he requires of us to do. He, if he would have stopped right there and I would have read that, it, my flesh would want to let go of the plow because I'd say this is too much of a burden for me. But he didn't stop there. He said, but wait a minute. I know you think this is more than what you can handle, but he said, I'm with you always, even until the end of the earth. He will strengthen you to continue the work that he has called you to do. Would you stand with me? Don't let go. Don't look back nothing behind you will ever be as good as what God has set before you the whole purpose of the enemy is to lie to you and twist your thinking that God has forgotten about you God is not for you God's not hearing your prayers you don't have the favor of God because the enemy wants you to let go. The reason being is when you let go, God doesn't get glory. But when you hold on and you keep your hands on the plow and you continue to do the work that God has called you to do for other people, God adds things to you. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousnesses and all these things will be added to you. And when he adds those things to you, the people that are on the outside of the field looking and watching, they're going to say, wow, this thing really works and they've got something real. That's how you make disciples, not just with words, but by holding on to the word of God, God moving through you, God blessing you, the favor of God being upon you, and people see that the God you serve is not a liar. He's not like these cheating moneymakers out here. When he gives a deposit and he pays for something, he stands behind his word. 
He's not telling us to keep on working because he's a slave driver and he's withholding his goods from us. He's not. He's given us everything we need to do what he has called us to do until the day he returns. Do you believe that? Keep your hands on the plow. Don't let go. Don't look back. God is before you. The word of the Lord would say, I am before you. I will make the crooked places straight. What looks like you can't, he said, I can. I will straighten the paths. I will save the lost. I will provide your needs. God is not slack concerning his promises. What he said he will do, he will do. If we're saved by grace through faith, then we're blessed by grace through faith. We don't work our way to get God to bless us. We faith our way. We trust our way. Tonight, if we could just take a few moments to come and pray tonight and tell God, if you've let go of the plow, you're going to put your hands back on it. If you've let go of what God has called you to do, you're going to step back into that. Maybe you've not ever put your hands on the plow. Maybe you don't know what God has called you to do, but say, God, show me what is my plow, God? What is it that you've called me to do to further the kingdom, to break open the, the hard ground of the graveyard of dead things and to bring those dead things to life, God? Because if God puts on your heart to do something, I promise you, he'll give you the power. He said, lo, I'm with you always. Do you believe that? Let's come to this altar and say, God, I'm keeping my hands on the plow for you, Lord.